Friends, welcome back to Homer's Iliad 2019, Lecture 18, Book 11, Part 2. We need to see some people get injured today. And so, remember how the lecture last time ended. Agamemnon had had his Aristea. He had uh, cut one dude's arms off and then kicked him down the, uh, down the way like a log. Uh, remember, that was the name, that was Hippolychus. He killed several other people, Esos, Antiphos. He had a really good day until he was himself injured. And when he was injured and had to leave the field of battle after cutting off the head of the man who had uh, injured him, Koan, he, um, we know that Zeus had sent Iris down to Hector and said that once Agamemnon is out of the battlefield, then it will be the case, then you may fight against the Achaeans. The idea being that when Agamemnon is fighting, since he is so much stronger than Hector, it is clearly the case that he would have defeated Hector and killed Hector, and that would have done uh, uh, quite a bit to keep Zeus from uh, helping the Trojans win this day if Hector were to die. In any case, now that Agamemnon is out of the battle, Hector can enter the battle. He has his Aristea, and immediately the tide of battle turns. So we see. And now there might have been havoc and hopeless things done. Now the running Achaeans might have tumbled back into their own ships had not Odysseus cried out to Tydeus' son Diomedes. Line 310. To 312. So, again, we see Odysseus attempting to save a situation, just like back in book two, where after the disastrous speech, speech by Agamemnon, he takes a chaotic situation and tries to bring order to it. Well, again, we see Agamemnon leaving the battlefield. The leader leaves the battlefield. That's like a teacher leaving the classroom. What immediately happens? Do things get more organized and better? No, absolutely not. They become more chaotic uh, and chaos like, like immediately. I remember once I stepped out to take a five-minute phone call from a parent once during one of my periods. I came back in. There was a totally different shape in the classroom. The desks were shaped in a totally different way by the time I came back, which I suppose is a slightly different way of organization. That might be like how, like, say, a divine being would look at the organization of political systems throughout a thousand years of time or something. But usually the, uh, the desks are all in straight lines. I came back in there in a circle, uh, and, which was both funny and upsetting all at once. It was a uh, it was a litany of emotions. In any case, Odysseus and Diomedes stand against the assault. That we should be ashamed to let Hector capture our, our capture our vessels. Uh, Hector, there seems to be a little bit misspelled. Make sure that you don't misspell it like that. In any case, Diomedes warns that Zeus seems clearly to be on the side of the Trojans. That's the only way they could possibly be defeating the Achaeans right now. And then we see both Diomedes and uh, Odysseus get to killing. That said, when they see Hector, Diomedes is, he shivers when he sees Hector. Apparently Hector is very impressive looking today. Perhaps he is even, um, uh, I suppose I shouldn't give in to speculation, but perhaps it is the case that he is made to look even more fearsome by the will of Zeus being at his back. In any case, beyond that fear, or getting beyond that fear, Diomedes takes his spear and he takes aim at Hector. He throws his spear at Hector. He hits Hector's helmet with his spear, which should be a killing blow, but apparently this helmet that Hector has is a gift from Apollo, and a gift from Apollo, Apollo indeed. The hit, uh, the, the spear does not go through the helmet. And so Diomedes comes within less than an inch of ultimate glory, and this is not the only time that he has almost killed Hector. We didn't read it together, but in Book 8, uh, while he was defending Nestor, he had actually 
thrown, uh, I believe it was also a spear, at Hector, but he had killed his charioteer Iniopius. Uh, when I used to lecture on book eight, I think there are actually, I think Hector goes through three charioteers in that book. Uh, every Achaean that tries to kill him ends up killing one of his charioteers instead of him, which is uh, sort of a theme in the Iliad that um, often it is the case that the great man who is fighting does not die, but the person right next to him does as people take aim at him. Sort of, uh, uh, yeah, well, that's, uh, that's a theme that you'll see in epic literature and something that you may see played out between Patroclus and Achilleus again soon. In any case, moving on. Now, as I told you, we were going to see some major Achaean injuries today. And so even though Odysseus and Diomedes were doing very well standing against the assault of the Trojans, there are some devilish Trojans out there, and in particular one who was recently castigated by his brother Hector, has returned to the field of battle. And somehow, some way, he is going to show some degree of prowess. He is an archer. His name is Paris of Troy. Oh my goodness. And Paris of Troy starts his assault on the Achaeans right now. And how does he do it? He shoots a withering arrow at Diomedes, a terrible arrow shot. It is a wonderful shot. It hits Diomedes right in the eye, right in the ear, right in the neck, right in the chest, right in the heart, right in the lungs. No, hits him in the foot. <laughs> hits him in the foot. Come on in, come on in. Just, I'll sign that in a second. Come on in. So, he hits him in the foot. And then, even though it's a terrible shot, he did injure Diomedes, so, I, you know, good for him. It is, it is an injury. It is better than a miss. But then he brags about it. He actually brags about it. I, 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 as if he were killing Diomedes. I guess I'll open up and just read this since I have those lines right there. 1180 to 393. Not what I intended to read today, but I will just because I, I do especially love this part. Now, then Alexandros, laughing merrily, sprang from his hiding place and cried out his speech of triumph. I mean, I just really want you to understand how little insight into the situation Alexandros has. Paris, he is the one that's caused this war. He's in the middle of a fight. He has just struck somebody on the foot and is laughing merrily. The context of the situation is still a very bad, difficult context. He has still brought war to his home. This is still a war that he will lose, and it wasn't even that great a shot, and yet he's acting as if Christmas has just come for the second day of the year, uh, which, of course, the Trojans knew no Christmas because there was no, uh, there was no Christianity at this time um, in the 8th century when Homer was singing the song, or the 12th century, which is based on. In any case, he laughs merrily and cries out his speech of triumph. You are hit. My arrow flew not in vain. How I wish I had struck you in the depth of the belly and torn the life from you. So the Trojans, who shudder before you as bleeding goats do before a lion, would have got their wind again after disaster. I love this response by Diomedes. At this point, all he has are words, though, because he is injured and he will have to leave the field of battle. So he is very much uh, uh, made impotent by this. Then not at all frightened, strong Diomedes answered him, You archer, foul fighter, lovely in your locks, ire of young girls. If you were to make trial of me in strong combat with weapons, your bow would do you no good at all, nor your close showered arrows. Now you have scratched the flat of my foot. And even most of this, I care no more than if a witless child or a woman had struck me. This is the blank weapon of a useless man, no fighter. But if one is struck by me, <coughs> excuse me, only a little, 
That is far different. The stroke is a sharp thing. Suddenly lays him lifeless. This is a nice touch. And that man's wife goes with cheeks torn and limp. Lamentation reminds me of Conan the Barbarian. And his children are fatherless. While he's staining the soil with his dead or red blood rots away. And there are more birds than women swarming about him. Oh my goodness. That's quite a thing for Diomedes to say. That said, uh, who got the best of whom in this situation? Paris or Diomedes? Who won? It was Paris, though so it wasn't necessarily a fair fight because it's not the case that Diomedes actually saw Paris and that they actually engaged mano e mano. In any case, Odysseus pulls the arrow out of Diomedes' foot. You can imagine that that's an extremely painful experience for him. And Odysseus is left alone on the battlefield. He no longer has Diomedes there helping him. We've seen now that they are like peas in a pod, Diomedes and Odysseus. When one goes out into the night, the other goes out. When one fights, the other fights alongside him. And now the, uh, uh, the once pair is now reduced to a singular person. Odysseus considers, what should I do? Should I keep fighting when Zeus is clearly against us and I may just die? Or should I flee this situation and flee injury? But what if someone sees me fleeing? That would hurt my Kleos. That would shame me. And so while he's thinking this through, well, you don't have a lot of time to think this sort of thing through in the middle of combat. And so he gets surrounded. And while he's surrounded, he does manage to kill five more men. But the problem with being surrounded is you stay surrounded. And so you will perhaps kill a few people, but then people will just keep wanting. Coming. Yes, they will keep coming. And so eventually his guard lowers and a man named Soko stabs him in the ribs through his shield and his corslet. It is a very harmful injury. It will not kill Odysseus, but ow! It hurts him, and it will take him out of action. In fact, he has to cry out for help because he, too, is uh, debilitated by this injury. And who goes to help him? Menelaus and Aias the Greater. I believe it's actually Menelaus who hears and then summons Aias the Greater to help him. So Menelaus's empathy for his uh, fellow men shows through, and then Aias the Greater's prowess as a great fighter shows through. Aias the Greater, also called Telamonian Aias after his father, they, uh, they cover or rather, Aias covers Menelaus as he retreats with Odysseus, takes him out of the battle. Aias then goes on a five-kill streak. Aias will be a monster all the way through book 15 at least. All that said, we now have three major Achaeans who have been knocked out of the battle. Agamemnon, Diomedes, and Odysseus. Well, we're going to see two more. We don't really know them very well as readers, but just take it on faith that they are major Achaeans. Uh, because, essentially, Homer wants us to think that. In any case, we know now that Hector is fighting against Idomeneus and Nestor off the plain near the Scamandros River on a different flank that we haven't been focusing on. Well, Paris then has a chance to hit the fourth Achaean. This fourth Achaean is Machan. Machan is a very important Achaean. The reason why he is very important is that he is one of the two uh, designated healers of the Achaeans. He is a doctor, essentially, a physician. And so he and his brother Podoleros, or Podolerios, I think it's Podoleros, uh, are the only uh, designated healers. That said, Achilleus and Patroclus also are very capable healers, but Achilleus doesn't really want to help anybody right now, so we'll see whether anybody gets the benefit of the skill that he learned from either Phoenix in the Homeric account or Chiron in the mythological account. In any case, Machaon, son of Asclepius. Asclepius is a minor healing god. He is the god of doctors. 
Um, and supposedly the first doctor, I believe, was one of his uh, children. Let's see, what was, uh, yeah, Asclepius is sometimes himself called the first doctor, and that's why he was deified, which means to become a god, or to be made a god. In any case, Paris, with another uh, good, but not that great, uh, arrow shot, shoots Machaon in the shoulder. He has to be carted off by Nestor. Now, while, hmm, hmm, I suppose I'll get to that one in a second. While Nestor is carting off Machaon, we shift back to the Achaean camp. There's somebody who stayed inside during recess today. Someone who stayed at his tent. Someone who refuses to join in the reindeer games. A lot of mixed metaphors right there. I'm talking obviously about Achilleus, who's not in the fight, but he's still watching the fight, and he hasn't sailed off. He seems very interested in what's happening with these Achaeans right now. And in fact, he seems rather hawk-eyed. He sees, who's that? Is that Machaon, who was just injured? And then he, he goes to his best friend, Patroclus. He says, Patroclus, go over to Nestor's tent where I see Machaon, or, or who I think is Machaon, being taken back in and see whether that actually is Machaon who's been injured. It's a very interesting thing for Achilleus to do, because if he truly did not care about the Achaeans at all, it wouldn't matter which Achaeans got injured, because he would equally uh, want them all to die, or not care if, if they all died, right? Well, why is he taking interest in this one particular Achaean? Could it be that he sees that the Achaeans are in a bad situation, and that in some way, in some part of his heart, he actually cares? Hmm... I don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps. In any case, we need to see another Achaean get injured. While Hector is fight fighting Idomeneus, and now Nestor is, uh, has taken Machaon off the Trojan plane and back to his tent in order to try and heal him, uh, Cabriones urges Hector to engage against Aias the Greater. This would be a very bad move for Hector. Aias the Greater is obviously far stronger even than Agamemnon is, and so if it were the case that Hector was told by Zeus through Iris not to fight Agamemnon because Agamemnon would kill him, it would be even more so the case that he should not fight against Aias the Greater. In fact, Aias the Greater will deal him a terrible, grievous wound in the next few books, uh, but not quite yet. In any case, Eurypylus goes to aid Aias the Greater. We don't know a lot about him. We'll hear about him a little in the Inferno next year. Some medieval people believed he was a prophet alongside Calchas. But uh, all you need to know is that he was one of the men that did volunteer for the one-on-one -on -one combat against Hector. Um, he and Thoaz were the two characters you probably didn't have any knowledge of because we don't really focus on them very much. Um, but he is the fifth Achaean who is injured. And how is he injured? Another shot by Paris. Paris takes out three Achaeans. He takes out uh, Machaon, he takes out Eurypylus, and he takes out Diomedes. And so what he does is he shoots yet another arrow and gets Eurypylus on the right thigh, so he does not fatally kill any of these champions. And remember also, since Paris, as much as we dislike him, is a major character, he also does not fall into that trap of being a minor character who injures a major character who is then killed by another major character. So he sort of has impunity here. Uh, eventually, eventually he will lose his impunity and his invincibility, but not quite yet. In any case, quick review. Agamemnon was hurt in the arm beneath the elbow by Koan. Diomedes was shot in the foot by Paris, and then uh, Paris was driven off by Sthenelus. Thank you, Sthenelus. I know Odysseus is the one who pulled the arrow out. Odysseus was stabbed in the ribs by Sokos. Menelaus then drove Sokos off. Uh, Machaea, uh, Sokos will soon die. I believe Sokos was actually killed. Uh, 
in, in conjunction with that, uh, that theme that we just talked about. I'll have to look into the book itself. Machaon was shot in right the right shoulder by Paris, and Nestor drove him off. And then Eurypylus was shot in the right thigh by Paris, and retreats by his own will. We will see Eurypylus at the very end of Book 11. All right. Now, as I said, Achilles then sends Patroclus to check on Machaon at the tent of Nestor. So we have a, a short reprieve from the fighting. Ah, the physical fighting. But this is where the real fighting begins. Why do I say the real fighting? Well, this is the mental fighting. This is the fight to get Achilles back into the fight so that the Achaeans can actually win the fight. The fight beyond the fight, or the fight underlying the fight. Perhaps the fight at the core, the true core of the Iliad. Perhaps this is the conflict that the Iliad is about, even more so than the Trojan War at large. In any case, Nestor will fight this fight. Let's set the scene. Hecamede, who is a slave of Nestor, is making a nice little tonic. It's sort of like a Red Bull Gatorade, something to give you your energy back. And so they didn't obviously have the chemicals that we have access to because they don't have the production facilities, nor the access to the art of chemistry as we do, nor understanding of nutritional science in the way we do. So they obviously couldn't create something like Gatorade. But they could create something that tasted pretty good to them that had some good substance in it. They put some water together with some wine, and they put a little barley in it. Barley's like uh, something that's part of bread production and some cheese. So a bunch of nourishing stuff that can kind of make you feel okay, they put together in what's called a potion. A potion is basically just like a mixture that you put together. Um, double, double, toil and trouble. That's where the, uh, the old idea comes from. That, and that expression actually comes from uh, Macbeth, which you'll read next year in Shakespeare. So uh, I just say that because Nestor is having a, a short tonic. And he offers this, actually, to Patroclus. He offers him a drink. He says, hey, stay a second. It's very similar to, um, to Helen and Hecuba offering um, Hector a chance to sit. And just like Hector, though, Patroclus is responsible. He says, hey, I'm not here to sit down and have a drink with you right now. What I'm here to do is to see whether Machaon has been injured. And, well, you know about the man that has sent me. He sometimes get, gets angry at people even when they have no reason, even when he has no reason to be angry at them. So I'm going to leave pretty quickly. And so Nestor says a couple things. Nestor knows this is a very important moment. If the Achaeans are going to have any chance of winning this battle and then this war, he needs to convince Achilles to return to the battle. Remember, Nestor was not part of the embassy sent to Achilles. It was Odysseus, Ice the Greater, and Phoenix. So Nestor has not gotten a crack at this young man yet. And he will not get a direct crack at Achilles, but the closest thing to working on Achilles himself is to work on his best friend, whom Nestor knows is soft-hearted, compassionate, a little bit more easier to manipulate than Achilles, who is a little sterner, fiercer, less compassionate, less uh, feels less sorry for those who are hurt around him who are his friends. In any case, uh, perhaps if we can touch the heart of Patroclus, Patroclus can touch the heart of Achilles. Achilles will return. It is a last-ditch effort. It is a last-straw sort of effort. It is a long shot, but it is the only shot. And so, Nestor takes it. And so, let me read a couple quick quotes from Nestor. Let me make sure I don't just have them written here. Here, I'll let you uh, write this while I read what he says. He, he takes a three-part approach to talking to Patroclus. Besides offering him a drink, and something you should know about that convention of offering a drink or some food, besides honoring the Zinnia, 
that is a good way to have someone spend time with you. If they're going to have a drink or eat, they're going to spend a moment with you. Well, when you spend a moment with somebody, do you awkwardly sit there in silence? The answer is no. I don't know what y'all do. But no, that's not what you do. You do what you do at lunch, which is not only consume the food and the drink, but also what? You talk. And when you talk, you have the opportunity to convince somebody of something. And so let's see what it is this Nestor has to say. He starts off with a very good topic sentence, line 655. Now why is Achilles being so sorry for the Achaeans, who have been wounded with spears thrown, he who knows nothing of the sorrow that has risen along the host since the bravest are lying among the ships with arrow or spear wounds. Wow, that's incredible. Why is he feeling sorry for all these Achaeans who have been injured? He who knows nothing about this because the bravest are injured around here. Wow, he has just been excluded from good company. Nestor then lists some people who have been injured so that Patroclus now knows that it is not just Machaon who's been injured, but several other of his friends, several other major Achaeans. It's a bad situation. The son of Tidius, strong Diomedes, was hit by an arrow, and Odysseus has a pike wound, and Agamemnon the spear fame, and Eurypolis has been wounded in the thigh with an arrow, and even now I have brought this other one, Machaon, out of the fighting, hit by an arrow from the bowstring. Meanwhile, Achilles, brave as he is, cares nothing for the Danaeans, nor pities them. Is he going to wait? Then, till the running ships by the water are burned with consuming fire for all the Argives can do, till we ourselves are killed one after another? Since there is not any longer in my gnarled limbs the strength there once was, if only I were young now, and the strength were still steady within me. And then he goes on to tell a story about how when he was young, he fought, he fought, he fought. Uh, something interesting that he says that's very sad, uh, which is true not only of him but also of Priam, is that uh, Heracles, I haven't told you too much about Heracles yet, but it's time to tell you a couple stories. Um, Heracles actually came to Troy once and sacked it once. That's why Troy now has a new, very nice wall made by Apollo and Poseidon. When Heracles sacked Troy, he killed every single one of Priam's brothers. Every single one of them. And in fact, sold Priam into slavery. And Priam's name was not originally Priam, but his name Priam comes from the Greek word for to buy. And so his name actually recalls the fact that all his brothers were killed and he was sold into slavery and bought back by his father at one point. Now, he's not the only man to have had all his brothers killed by Heracles. In fact, Heracles rolled up on old Pylos at one point. Who do we know from Pylos? Neleus, father of Nestor. Ah, but Neleus was not only father of Nestor. He was the father of 13 strong sons. 13 sons. Well, after Heracles came through, he was reduced down to one. And that one was Nestor. And Nestor tells this story because do you think he wishes his brothers were still alive? Yes. And would he do anything to bring them back to life or to have kept them back uh, alive when he had the opportunity? Answer obviously is yes. What is Achilles not doing? Anything to help his quote-unquote brothers, his friends, stay alive. And so he can be the last person alive but that's not really the place you want to be. It's like being on the moon alone. It's like, okay, cool, you're there, but who do you share it with? And, well, that's a strong argument that Nestor makes. The last one that I will mention, if I can find it very quickly, is, ah, yes, he makes the appeal to Patroclus' parents. <clears throat> that was I among men, if it ever happened. But Achilles will enjoy his own valor and loneliness, though I think he will weep much too late when his people are perished from him. Alright, I'm not going to read 
the Minoiteus and the Peleus one. But remember the idea. It was the case that Odysseus and Nestor went to collect both, I was going to say Phoenix, Patroclus and Achilles from their fathers. The father of Patroclus is Minoiteus. The father of Achilles is Peleus. Peleus is higher in rank than Minoiteus, and therefore Achilles' blood is higher in rank. And so he is the top dog, and uh, Patroclus is the second dog, even though Patroclus is older than Achilles. Now, what is it that Peleus tells? Let me make sure. I, yeah, there we go. Perfect. What is it that Peleus tells uh, to Achilles always to do, which Nestor heard him say, say? He says, always be preeminent in battle. He's like sort of one of those like abusive, bad like baseball or football dads who's like, you've got to get in there and win, and you only win. Except for his son actually does really win. And so apparently his uh, poor parenting strategy did work. On the case of Achilles, but you know, Achilles had the fate to do this. So, whether it was parents or fate, hard to say. That's a debate that comes out even today in the nature and nurture debates. Uh, all right, in any case, what is it that Minoiteus told Patroclus to do if he is not always to be preeminent in battle because Achilles is superior to him in rank and skill and strength? Well, what have we seen about Achilles? As good as he is as a fighter, sometimes his head is not exactly, this is an idiom. Screwed on straight. Sometimes he cannot see the proper way forward in his life. And so what an older, possibly slightly weaker, uh, best friend of his could do for him is give him the appropriate counsel. Tell him the right things to do. And it is very wise of Nestor to remind Patroclus of this because he has just spoken to Patroclus. And what is Patroclus about to do? Well, he's going to return to the tent of Achilles. Who is he going to talk to there? Achilles. And so what might he do? Well, he might start to use some of those counseling words that might counsel Achilles to be preeminent in battle. And who would that help? Well, that would help the Achaeans, because Achilles would be fighting. And that would also potentially help Achilles, because he would live up to his destiny. It just makes sense. That said, Nestor is very smart. Does he assume, even though he has given excellent reasons to Achilles to return, that he will return? No. And that's the difference between him, Aias the Greater, Odysseus, and Phoenix. He does not assume even good reason will convince Achilles. So he makes this suggestion, and I want you to think very deeply about just how intelligent this decision is. And just how far-reaching Nestor's ability to see is. It's like a chess player seeing three moves in advance. He suggests to Patroclus, well, if you can't convince Achilles... And remember, he's the most convincing of the Achaeans. The fact that he thinks that Achilles might not be convinced is a testament to how smart he is. It is, it is like what they say on, on IQ tests. It is often the people who are highest in intelligence who do best, who question most the validity of what they say. It's often the people that perform worse that assume that they're correct. It's very interesting. Man. I, I would say colloquially, if you have conversations with people, especially on hot topics, you'll notice that that's probably true, though obviously you can't administer an IQ test immediately. Uh, in a public uh, social situation. Uh, though you might think that you can do that just by listening to someone. In any case, this is the suggestion. Patroclus, why don't you wear Achilles' armor? You look enough like him. You're also pretty tough to fight against. That would give us a real boost in morale. And so we all think, huh, that's an interesting suggestion. Probably Achilles wouldn't go for something weird like that, but maybe he would if he hears that the Achaeans are being injured and he cares about them, but he doesn't want to return because he's angry. <clears throat> that might make sense. But the question I want you to keep in mind is this. If Patroclus returns to the battle, 
What might happen to Patroclus in the battle, even with the armor of Achilles on? Yes? Yeah. He might die. Now, if words won't convince Achilles to return to the battle, and he's so upset, and that's what keeps him from returning, perhaps the only thing that would get him to fight is if something even more upsetting happens to him. If his anger gets displaced from against Agamemnon, against someone else. Well, he just had his concubine taken from him. That's a big deal. What could possibly be worse than losing a concubine that he had just captured a couple weeks before? Yes? Losing your best friend. Ah, not just losing his best friend, but having his best friend be killed by a Trojan. Because then, who, without working out his anger, who does the anger go from being projected on? It's on Agamemnon right now, but if a Trojan kills Patroclus, his best friend, and in some way Achilles is responsible for this because Patroclus was wearing his armor and therefore trying to live out his destiny, who's Achilles' anger going to shift to? Yes? Whichever Trojan kills his friend. What if the Trojan happens to be? Hector! That'd be a very bad day for Hector, wouldn't it? To have Achilles, essentially a whirlwind of fiery fury coming at him. That means death. Huh. You really have to wonder whether that's what Nestor has in mind when he makes this suggestion to Patroclus. Is he callously manipulating him? And yet, I say callously, as if it's heartlessly, but what is the only way to save all these Achaeans? You need Achilles back in the fight. You have to do what's necessary. Perhaps that is exactly what Nestor is doing here. Huh. Alright. Good. I'll have you write this down, but that is the end of the lecture. Oh, yeah, almost. There's one last detail. One last detail. So, uh, uh, let me actually read this to you. So, Nestor says all of this to Patroclus. So he spoke, this is line 803, and stirred the feeling in the breast of Patroclus. He touches the heart of Patroclus. He has been successful. Patroclus is going to go back to Achilles' tent. He is going to tell Achilles what he has heard from Nestor. He is going to request that Achilles return to the fighting, or that Achilles give him his armor to wear, and one of those options will be chosen. Yet, on the way back to Achilles' tent, Nestor's words are proved correct. Remember, Nestor gave an account of all the major Achaeans who were injured, and who is it that wandered off the battlefield on his own, who was just shot in the thigh by Paris? Well, it's the Achaean we just met, who we hear is a major Achaean, it's Eurypolis. And Patroclus sees him, and he's limping, and he's looking all pathetic, and Patroclus' heart just starts to break. He's like, oh, this is terrible. And so he starts to tend to the wound of Eurypolis before he will go back to talk to Achilles. And actually, uh, 11, book 11 uh, and book 16 are very closely connected together. 12 through 15, uh, some very interesting stuff will happen involving Poseidon, Sleep, Zeus, and Hera. <laughs> Hera is very deceptive. And it, but, book 16, we will see Achilles and Patroclus talk to each other. Book 16, we will see one of them take the field. Book 16, we will see one of them die. Alongside several other big-time Achaeans and Trojans. So, that is the lecture for today.